Welcome. So glad you've tuned in. We want to say happy Father's Day as we begin our online experience this week. And if this is your first time, we certainly hope it's not your last time. And you could do us a favor. We'd love to connect with you. You can click on the digital connection card up here in the corner, or you could leave a message here in the chat window, just who you are and maybe an email address and maybe a prayer request or a question we might be able to answer. But again, we're grateful that you found time to be part of our online experience here at Linden Road. And if this is your spiritual home, we say welcome to you. And again, we invite you to use those same connection pieces, either the digital connection card up here in the corner or leave a comment here in the chat just so that we can be connected. But it is Father's Day and we do uh, take a moment here and let me just begin maybe with a great uh, dad joke, right? Uh, Why couldn't the bicycle stand up on its own? It was too tired. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sorry. Or how about, why can't your nose be 12 inches long? Well, because then it would be a foot. Yeah, we want to give tribute to dads. But as we begin our time of worship, let's take a moment and acknowledge the dads in our life. Hi, I'm Leo. Hi, Leo. I'm a new dad. I uh, found myself window shopping this week for Fanny Pack. My car smells like McDonald's all the time. I'm turning into a real-life tickle monster. I can't get these bad jokes out of my head. Like, why do melons have big weddings? Because they cantaloupe. Why do we know that? No, it's okay. It's okay. We should be proud to be dads. Oh, so why don't we say the, the paternity prayer? God, grant me serenity as I hide in the bathroom where my family can't find me. Courage to change every terrifying diaper and the wisdom to know when to belch and when not to. Amen. Yes. So let's get out there and be those fort-building, tea-party-attending, cape-wearing, homework-helping, spider-killing, dependable dads that those kids need. So yes, we are grateful for all that dads bring to us. And I know sometimes our relationships can be messy here on earth, but at the same time, it all points us us towards our Heavenly Father. So we are in our series called Unhindered, where we're looking at the book of Acts. Remember, it is literally the last word in the book of Acts that Dr. Luke pens. And it's to really help us understand that even in the season we find ourselves in, even when it seems like things are so upside down in so many different ways, economically, politically, and even within the kingdom, it just seems like there's so many things that are coming against God's people. At the same time, we see that God is moving. And so we're reminded by the work of the Holy Spirit about what takes place in our lives. Part of what I want you to see out of this story that comes to us through the book of Acts, be reminded it is the second gospel or the second part of Luke's gospel, is that we learn that this is our story, that the story that God has written through the early church back in those days in Jerusalem that what we see here is uh, how we have been called uh, to be 
part of what God is doing. And so as we looked, we saw last couple weeks in the first chapter. So as we looked here in the first chapter of Acts last week, we see that it's the continuation of this gospel of Luke. It's the story of the early church, and it is really the continuing story of Jesus as he invites his people, you and I, to participate in the work of his kingdom, of bringing the kingdom on earth. And we know that his resurrection was what was the proof of this new kingdom. And we know too, as we began the book of Acts last week, he told his disciples that they needed to wait. There was something coming. There was a person coming, actually, the person called the Holy Spirit, who was going to show up in just a few days and would give them power so that they could go out and be witnesses and be the messengers to the entire world. And that's where we fit in today, that we continue the promise of what God is doing in and through his people. And that there would be this new rule, this new reign, if you will, of a new king, this King Jesus. And so this week as we begin, as the disciples are waiting, and fortunately they didn't have to wait very long. And so we begin here in Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Okay, there's a lot going on here. And so let's take a look at this and try to break it down. First of all, we call this Pentecost. And you may not know this, but it actually is one of the three major Jewish holidays. Pentecost was something that was celebrated before the Holy Spirit came. In fact, it was a huge agricultural festival that took place 50 days after the Passover. It was at the end of the barley harvest and the beginning of the wheat harvest. And it literally drew tens of thousands of Jews to Jerusalem from all over the known world. So that's what's going on as we begin here in chapter 2. And we know as we celebrate communion, right, that it was on the Passover Eve that Jesus began what we now know as the Lord's Supper. In the same way that the Passover was a celebration of when the Israelites' firstborns were saved from death in Egypt, this idea of Pentecost was a celebration that commemorated when Moses received the law from God at Mount Sinai. And so it's at this moment when this new law is instituted within God's people, is both symbolized and legislated in a way where we're reminded that there's a new life for the people of God. Something new is happening. And so that's why today, as we think about Pentecost, that's why on this day we want to see, as we celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit, that there is indeed a new law and a new way of life. Now what's interesting on this day too, as they celebrate it, is that's when the Holy Spirit showed up and it changed everything. So again here reading verse 2, And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now for many, when we start talking about the Holy Spirit, people get uncomfortable. They understand God the Father, and they certainly understand God the Son. But this idea of how the Holy Spirit works in our lives, in fact, I've had some scholars, as I've been reading recently, talk about how it isn't the Holy Spirit, it is actually Holy Spirit, just like we would talk about anyone we know. 
it, not to uh, make it something that's third person, but actually make it a very much a first person. We know this much. Holy Spirit is something that has received varying levels of focus from the people of God throughout the church's history. Some people are so into Holy Spirit that every single rhythm of their faith is seen through the lens of the Holy Spirit. And so some churches focus significant time and energy on it. And other churches are on an exact opposite end of the spectrum. And sometimes when you find yourself at a church that focuses on the Holy Spirit in a different way than you're used to, it can seem a bit strange. Now, I'm reminded even in our tradition as being Presbyterian or Reformed, there was an amazing emphasis on the gifts of the Holy Spirit to be something that is given to the whole body of Christ. Even John Calvin has rightly been described as the theologian of the Holy Spirit, according to B.B. Warfield. And yet, Reformed Christians, Presbyterians, also have been given bad press for how we view these gifts of the Spirit. I believe in this current season, there is a real hunger to see the Holy Spirit move. If you remember the Asbury outpouring that took place earlier this year. people there hungered for more of God and how for 16 days nonstop they worshiped in ways that were unique through worship and through prayer and through the laying on of hands to pray for healing and restoration for those that came for those experiences. And then even thinking about this idea of the Holy Spirit giving us illumination, we know that Jesus experienced it. We know that as Jesus grew up in his walk here on earth, that scriptures tell us, Luke chapter 2, verse 52, about how he grew in wisdom and favor with God by leaning into his relationship with the Holy Spirit. And even in the Old Testament book of Isaiah, chapter 50, verses 4 through 11, we get an amazing picture of Jesus waking up each day where he's dependent on his father to give illumination to his understanding of the word that he's going to preach, that he might feel and act and live as a man who is full of the spirit of wisdom and understanding. And when the spirit of God works within us, when the Holy Spirit works within us, he illuminates us in a way to transform our thinking. It's a way to develop a godly habit, a godly instinct, if you will, that may sometimes create some interesting opportunities for us as we lean into the understanding of uh, reading God's Word, how the Holy Spirit can enlighten us and give us a passion to do the work that he's called us to be a part of. And then when we think about the beautiful chapter from the book of Psalms, Psalm 119, where it lays out so beautifully the pathway to being spiritually stable and the freedom that we gain, it, because it leads us to knowing and loving and doing God's will on a daily basis. And it brings joy then into our journey. So again, as, as those of the Reformed tradition, we value the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And yet maybe here's another way to look at it. When we look throughout the Bible, the Holy Spirit is the way that those authors of these biblical books, how they talk about God's presence. 
we see here in the book of Acts two common biblical symbols that help us understand the arrival of the Holy Spirit. The first is this idea of wind or, or the sound or, or even breath. It, what, what is that all about? Well, it's equal to being big and being powerful, maybe in a sense of violent, like a tornado. And we know that it's from heaven. And then also the other symbol is this idea of fire. And we know as we look at fire in the scriptures, that even as fire, as we use it in our worship experience from lighting the candle, as we begin our worship time together, where it indicates to us and did back even in the Old Testament, the presence of God. I mean, think about uh, the burning bush or the pillar of fire that led the Israelites or the pillar of fire that showed up at the tabernacle and it was in the temple. And it's important for us to understand that these symbols, they help us see God's presence in a way that becomes real. And it gives us an idea that he is there, he is with us. And it shows up here on earth. And it's where, again, we talked last week in the quote from N.T. Wright about how the kingdom of God coming to earth, it's where heaven and earth overlap. There's a contemporary song that John Mark McMillan wrote called How He Loves. And it's interesting, when David Crowder produced that song, he asked to change the words. But there's a particular lyric here where he talks about how God loves us. He loves us so much that it's like heaven and earth meet like a sloppy wet kiss. And it's the messiness of that, right? Uh, and so I want us to see here as we think about this, that it's about God's presence amongst us. And that's why we, we look at these symbols. Do you notice here in verse three, where it says there were these tongues of fire? Were they seen? It was said that they were resting one on each of them. So what's taking place here? Well, the spirit, which is God's presence, shows up. And fire, which is a symbol of God's presence, appears above the followers of Jesus in the same way that it had appeared above the tabernacle and the temple in the Old Testament. Now, under the Old Covenant, God's presence rested on Israel as a people and on its leaders for specific purposes where that we would read, as you read through the Old Testament, how the Holy Spirit came, the Spirit of God appeared, the Spirit of God filled them, but then it would leave. But the promise that we have living in the New Testament, in the New Covenant era, is that it's through what Jesus did on the cross, through his resurrection from the grave, that Holy Spirit or presence of God, if you will, now rests on each believer individually. And that's why Paul says to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that our body is literally the temple of God. And what does that mean? Well, it, it means that through the power of the Holy Spirit, if you follow Jesus, that you are now the place where heaven and earth overlap that we, you and I, are the dwelling place of God's Spirit here on earth. So in Acts 2, we have this filling of the Holy Spirit that is empowered by the followers of Jesus to start speaking in other languages. Now, this is kind of strange, a little odd, if you will. But before we unpack that, we're going to take a look at something else here in a moment. But I want you to take a moment here and take a look at a video that I want to share that looks at the life of Peter from his perspective particularly on this time here as the book of Acts is opening up to us. It's interesting here as you hear this actor share his thoughts as if he was Peter, the questions he, he's asking, 
Because if you remember, when we talked about Peter a number of weeks ago, you know, it was when Peter denied Jesus three times that Peter felt as though he didn't belong. And then in that most beautiful scene at the end of John's gospel, where Jesus has breakfast ready for them on the beach, he has this conversation with Peter. And in that conversation, he reinstates Peter, if you will. The three times that Peter denies Jesus, Jesus three times asks him uh, if he loves him. And, and yet we know Peter pushed through that, and it was awkward and hard, but it was in those moments that he understood what Jesus was doing for him. And so check out this video. For about a decade after the start of the church, virtually all of the efforts to make Christians were made to the Jews. The Apostle Peter was the undisputed leader of the Christians during this time. My brother Andrew was the true fisherman in our family. Like the very first fish finder radar. If there were fish to be caught, he could tell you where and how deep to throw the nets. My partner, John, was like a concert musician with the nets. We had three kinds of nets, and he was a master with all of them. And James. <laughs> James, James. That boy was unbelievable with numbers. The last time we fished together, we had the biggest catch in the history of our little company. He just looked at it and said, uh, there's 153 big fish, throw the little ones back. And he was exactly right. Me, I was the sailor. I could feel the wind before it came up. And I always had my sails prepared exactly right so that we always beat the other boats to the places where we wanted to fish. When the wind filled the sails, I just about explode with joy and energy. I felt like I was made for those moments. What do you think it felt like to be the first person filled with the Holy Spirit when Jesus sent him back to empower us? Like being a glass that's filled with water? No. It was as if I was a giant sail and the Spirit filling me so full that I just exploded with joy and power. The first thing I thought of was, in both Greek and Hebrew, the word spirit means wind. Why didn't I expect to feel like this when Jesus promised to send the spirit to baptize us? I guess I was expecting water, not wind. I witnessed some amazing days in my time spent with Jesus of Nazareth, life-changing. I was fishing on the Sea of Galilee when he called me to fish for men. I was there when he walked on the water. I was there on the top of the mountain when he was transfigured and had a conversation with Moses and Elijah. I was there when he prayed in the garden and when he died on the cross. And I was a witness to his resurrection. But one day was different from all of those. Early in the morning on Pentecost, only a few days after the ascension of Jesus, many of us were worshiping together 
We were praising God and a sound overwhelmed us, as powerful as a tornado. And when the promised spirit came upon us, it was like we had flames of fire all over us. We rushed around speaking in other languages, accosting anyone that we saw to tell them about Jesus. Many of the people around us thought that we, the apostles, were drunk, even though it was only nine o'clock in the morning. The entire time I was with Jesus, I kept a question in my own heart, too embarrassed to ask. It became my secret. I wanted to know why me? Why, why did you take an average fisherman on a little lake in the middle of nowhere? Why spend so much of your time and love on him? I'm a nobody, a loser. I never deserved even a glance. What did you see in me? Why did you love me so much? Why me? And when the Spirit filled me, I knew the answer. Jesus never saw me. He saw who I would be when empowered by the Spirit. So, yes, it is that encounter with the Holy Spirit. Now, let me just read to you here from Acts chapter 2, verses 4 through 13. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear, each of us in our own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontius and Asia, Phygra and Pamphylia and Egypt and the parts of the Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mockingly said, they were filled with new wine. So Holy Spirit shows up and the followers of Jesus all start speaking in tongues. Now the Greek word here for tongues in verse 6 and also in verse 8 is the same word as languages. Now this was not a language that only God can understand, which is a kind of speaking in tongues, which Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 14. That's something totally different, but here they were able to understand the languages that other people uh, spoke. And again, as we said, this celebration of Pentecost, which was celebrating the Mosaic Law coming, it's the fact is Jews from all over the known world have made the, their pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And then they hear this sound and they come to check it out. And as they come to check it out, they are able to understand what the followers of Jesus are saying. And the list of the places that they were coming from includes all over the Middle East, Iran and Babylon and Turkey and North Africa and Italy, literally all over the map of the ancient world. 
Now, we need to say that right now at this time in history, at this moment that we're experiencing here in the book of Acts, everybody had a second language and it was Greek, kind of like people speak English today. But Holy Spirit empowered the followers of Jesus to speak in other languages. And I think this is a clear symbol of what Jesus said in chapter one when he told the disciples that they would be witnesses to the end of the earth. This is where it begins. But there's also something else happening here. And if you lived in the first century and you were hearing this account from Luke himself about how people gathered around from all over the known world and were speaking in different languages, there's one specific Old Testament story that probably would have flashed through your mind. Do you remember what that is? It's the Tower of Babel. They're out of Genesis chapter 11. And so once again, as we know about Luke and his writing here, he was very masterful and very intentional of what he was trying to communicate. And so he is alluding to this scene back in Genesis 11. But at Pentecost, there, something is much different than what happened in Genesis 11. In fact, it, it's not confusion like took place at the Tower of Babel. But in this moment, it's absolute clarity. What does scripture tell us this clarity is all about? What were they talking about in all those languages? Well, verse 11 here says that they were talking about the mighty works of God, which undoubtedly had to include the life and the teachings of Jesus. And we know it has to include his death and his resurrection. So here we are at this feast that celebrates this new way of life and this new law. And the Jews are gathered from all over the known world and Holy Spirit shows up and empowers the followers of Jesus to do what? To be witnesses, to proclaim the message of the mighty works of God and to proclaim the good news of this new King Jesus that's sitting on the throne and which leads to a whole new way of life. Now, what does all this mean? Well, that's the question that they actually asked here in verse 12 as we read it. And it's, I think, a good one for us to ask today, too. So what I'd love for you to do, and maybe it's, we could say it's your homework for the week ahead, is to sit down later today and in, in the days ahead and to read through Acts chapter 2, verses 14 through 36, which is Peter's Pentecost sermon, which is kind of interesting because Peter begins first by saying, they're not drunk, it's only 9 a.m. And I'll leave the rest to you to read and ponder and hear this most amazing sermon that Peter preached, probably the most perfect sermon ever given uh, on earth. I want to share a clip here of, of Peter in what he experienced on this day, uh, this day of Pentecost. What happened next would have put Abraham Lincoln, Billy Graham, or Winston Churchill to shame. Through me, the Spirit delivered the most powerful sermon ever given. For the very first time, the whole gospel was preached in the power of God's Spirit. And for the very first time, people were offered salvation. For the very first time, people were repented, were baptized, and received the Holy Spirit. For the very first time, the existence of the church was revealed. It gives me chills every time I think about that. Have you ever read the little book by the prophet Joel? In it, God gave a preview of the future. But it wasn't until Pentecost happened that we understood it. God said that from the day of the Lord onward that his people would have the Holy Spirit 
poured out on them through my sermon, the Spirit revealed that the outpouring would happen for all of those who believe in Jesus, repent, and are baptized. 3,000 people were saved that first day. Every day after that, we taught, spent time with each other, and the Lord continued to add to our church every day. So I hope you're encouraged by Peter's words, and I hope you will take time this week to read it a couple times. It's Acts chapter 2, verses 14 through 36. That you can read it and that you'll let those words soak in. Here's some things that I want you to think about uh, and why this is important. Peter brilliantly uses three Old Testament texts that talk about who the Messiah is. It comes from Joel chapter 2, Psalm 16, and Psalm 110. And out of those scriptures, he lays out an argument that shows how Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And then as he wraps up his sermon, he focuses on the resurrection and he focuses on Jesus as King and Christ or as Lord. Now, okay, what does all this mean? Well, what it means is that Jesus is risen and that he is Lord. And it's here in Peter's sermon that we see the words that Jesus mentions in chapter 1 being fulfilled. Being empowered by Holy Spirit, Peter becomes a witness and he becomes a messenger of Jesus' kingdom. Okay, watch what happens next then. So Acts chapter 2 verse 37 begins, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Again, the beauty of all this. And again, the reason why we're even looking at this book of Acts and this current season where we find ourselves in this current generation of how, how hungry people are to find a, a life that's full and what Jesus can offer them. And so it's important that we see here that Peter tells them to repent and be baptized. And what they receive in return is forgiveness and the power of Holy Spirit. And so, basically, those who believe in Jesus repent and get baptized. Let's wrap up here. At this season of Pentecost, we know it's a commemoration of the new law or this new way of life for the ancient Israelites. And it was what they received from God at Mount Sinai when he gave the Ten Commandments. And then Holy Spirit comes and fills the followers of Jesus with symbols that tell us the temple of God, where God's presence dwells, in, is now within his people. This indwelling presence of God brings the power that Jesus promised. Throughout all human history, we have seen Holy Spirit. We've seen God's presence. We've seen how he has empowered his people, like Joseph of old, like the prophets in the Old Testament, like he did Jesus, and even as he did with the disciples. And what we read here in the book of Acts is not something separate from who we are today. Now, let me ask you this question. Do people 
look at our lives and see the indwelling of the Spirit. This is where I'm going from preaching to meddling a little bit here. I'm going to suggest that for many who follow Jesus, the answer is no. Again, the conversation I had last week on Mornings with Mark and Gabe, and there's a link here to the worship notes if you didn't get a chance to watch it or listen to it, about just trying to understand why is it that people don't have a problem with Jesus but really have a problem with the church. Well, it's the disconnect. It's moving from what they say the 18 inches from our head to our heart and living it out in a very practical way. But see, here's what we know. I'm afraid that for many of us, we are actually doing more to block Holy Spirit's access to our lives than we are to welcome it in. But according to Jesus, the presence of Holy Spirit's dwelling in our lives is the only way that we are empowered to participate in this new life of his resurrection and of his kingdom. So I don't know about you, but what I want us to do and what I invite you to do with me is to say yes to Holy Spirit. To actually say yes to the presence of God dwelling in your life. That we can say yes to making my life, to your making your life as a temple where heaven meets earth. And again, I love the lyric of that song about how it's messy. It's a messy wet kiss. Uh, it's sloppy and it's it's not the best in some regards but it, it gives us a true understanding of how it's supposed to work I encourage us to say yes to Holy Spirit empowering us you and me to be witnesses for the kingdom of Jesus my question to you is will you join us and my question to you then is will you join in this will you say yes let's pray God, we do pray on this day. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for your presence. And we pray that we can respond to you in a way that will engage your power in our lives to make a difference not only in how we walk each day, but in bringing the kingdom of God to those that we come in contact with. Equip us now through the power of the resurrection. In Jesus, we pray in your strong name. Amen.